0: Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. If you're not a straight married couple who's white and practices a certain religion and are looking to adopt, good luck with that. It's harder for those in marginalized communities, those who are individuals who are trying to adopt to actually do so and to get the funding, the financial support to do so. One woman is changing that. We interviewed Becky Foss today who founded HelpUsAdopt.org. And she specializes in reaching out to and supporting marginalized communities and provides life-saving grants to help those families achieve their goals of adopting children. $15,000 size grants. You don't want to miss today's Queer Money. Here we go.
1: There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money.
0: All right. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. I'm excited about Having today's guest one. She and I talked on the phone a couple weeks ago. She was actually introduced to us by one of our longtime friends, Emma Johnson of Wealthy Single Mommy and Like a Mother. And some of you might have remembered hearing me on Like a Mother with Emma Johnson. We talked about why gays have so much debt, <laughs> <laughs> which is very apropos for <laughs> an Emma Johnson conversation. So she introduced us to Becky Fawcett, spelled just like Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> <laughs> Becky's going to tell us about what an amazing thing that her organization does. So we'll just dive right into it. Becky, welcome to the show.
2: My gosh, thank you guys so much for having me. And by the way, my last name, it was like the greatest thing when I got married because (laughs) I did take my husband's name and he looked at me because I think he was sort of shocked. And I said... Well, if I'm going to name a dog Farah, I better have the right last name. (laughs) And so we got a chocolate lab when we got married, and we named her Farah, and she was the greatest dog. Oh,
0: that's awesome. (laughs) I love it.
2: It was perfect. It was perfect. (laughs) But in my other life, not as a dog mother, when I became a human mother, it was a little more challenging. And the long story short is... My body did not want to do this, even with medical intervention. And so my husband and I arrived at adoption store, and we'd been through hell and back again trying to have a baby. One of the deciding factors on how to stop the medical intervention, besides the list of emotional, mental, physical pain, it was just so brutal, was money. And I hate to say it, but I now talk about this very openly because it is a huge factor in becoming a parent, not only to people like me, whose body doesn't want to do it, but to the LGBT community. We had $40,000 left in our savings account, and that was it. And that was what an average adoption cost. And we knew that. So we... It took a step. It was very scary, and we can get into that part of the conversation later in our talk. But adoption did scare the living, you know, what, out of me. I just didn't know anything about it and it really terrified me. But what really terrified me was that what if I hadn't had the foresight to stop with that money left in the bank account? And then I started thinking, but wait a minute. I mean, Let's talk about how fortunate we were to even have that money in the bank account. And so I started asking a lot of questions about what would have happened to us and our journey to parenthood had we not had this money. What would we have done? Who could we have turned to for help? And the answers that came back to me by those who were willing to talk to me about it, because a lot of adoption professionals did not want to talk about this topic was basically that people, they make very bad financial decisions based on emotions, which is completely understandable because I think I made a few bad emotional decisions. <laughs> on my, we all have. <laughs> two, two journeys down the adoption path, you're really in an emotional state. People either go into financial ruin trying to get a child, one that they never come out of, or they're in such bad shape financially, they have to abandon ship, as I call it, halfway down the road, and they live a childless life, not by choice, in debt. Mm-hmm. And I just I just couldn't really live with this, because once my son came home, motherhood meant so much more to me than I ever thought it would. The minute I thought that he might not exist in my life, I just started crying, wherever I was. I mean, it could have been the bank, where, <laughs> I mean, anyway, grocery store, but the minute I thought about what if money had stood in my way? I was a wreck. So I started doing some investigating of what types of things were out there to help people because what if I had needed help was really what I kept coming back to. Who would I have gone to? I mean, I grew up in a lovely family, but I'm one of five children. My parents had kids in college when I was doing this. They couldn't have helped me. It was a really tricky thing. Mm-hmm. And because we're talking about forty thousand dollars here, I mean we're not talking about can you loan me fifteen right. hundred right we're talking about forty thousand after tax dollars that is huge. I decided that since I was a publicist, I would find an adoption grant that I liked, preferably in New York City, and I would call them and make their year by telling them, well, or no, I'm telling them that I was going to be their pro bono publicist. Maybe they'd be like, oh my God, Blondie, please go away. But that was my goal, was to find someone who I could say, look, I can't write you a check, but what my skill set is, is worth a lot of money. And I know as a nonprofit, you don't have that budget, so let me give it to you. Mm -hmm. But here's where the story gets really interesting, and here's why you're talking to me. So this was about 12 years ago, because my son just turned 12 in October. The existing grant organizations 12 years ago were very few in number. No one was in New York City, which did surprise me to begin with. But they defined family. And if you could see my face, you'd see me (laughs) (laughs) scrunching up my face right now, because they defined family as a white woman married to a white man. Worshipping a certain God and then adopting a certain way. Yes. And if you could see me, you would say, I don't know why you're complaining because you're a white woman. And if I was sitting next to my husband, you'd say, well, you're married to a white man. So what do you care? Well, I do care because I wasn't worshiping the right God and I wasn't adopting a certain way. So number one, I was pissed off because of that. Number two, I was pissed off because that's not the definition of family in today's world, or at least not in my book. I was mad that they weren't helping children around the globe. I was mad that they weren't empowering families to build the families they envisioned. I was mad that single parents were left off the docket. And I was extremely mad that they were pretending that LGBT community didn't even exist. Wasn't even mentioned. There was so much wrong with how these organizations defined family. And let me say I am grateful that they help who they help because I can't help everybody. They certainly can't help everybody, but that was not an organization that I could align my name with because it's not what I believe in. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and wrote a business plan for the nation's only non-discriminatory adoption grant program that does not define family, does not define religion, does not define adoption, does not charge an application fee, which also pisses me off. I hope I'm allowed to say that on your radio show.
0: (laughs) We Um, had Emma on and she already cursed.
3: (laughs) Oh, good.
2: Well, like that's, I'm trying to behave myself. Um, (laughs) And then this was the other problem. They were giving grants 12 years ago. The largest grant was $2,500. That is not solving a problem for these families. And I see two problems with that. I see number one, you're giving a family sort of a, A strange band-aid, right? That keeps them in limbo. And quite frankly, if you're really respecting your donors' money, which all of nonprofits we only exist because our donors believe in us. So I can't imagine not thinking of my donors like every step of the road that I take. What do you tell your donors with that? Well, they needed 20, but we gave them 2,500 or a thousand, and we don't know if they really got to the finish line or. I don't know how someone would ever give you money again with that business model. So what we do is we give grants up to $15,000 because we're figuring this. We're figuring that families are figuring it out. I don't think there's many adoptive families that you will meet that says, boy, did we not tighten our belts when this was happening? I mean, it's brutal. Even when you have the money, you're watching your savings deplete. So your mindset becomes completely different. We give grants up to $15,000. We want to be the finishing piece of the puzzle. So if you have an adoption and it's $43,000 and you have 33 stage and you've taken a mini loan out of your mortgage and you've taken a second job and you come to us asking for 10, that's what we want to see. We want to give you that last 10. We want to be able to turn around at the end of the day and tell our donors. Like last year in 2017, we gave 38 grants away. That was 41 children that came home because a couple people were adopting sibling groups or multiples. So like we want to be able to say, that's what your money did. We built 38 families and here are the pictures and here are the stories. We don't want to be able to say we gave everybody a thousand dollars. Right. That doesn't fix it. And in a perfect world, you know, yes. Would I like to help more people? Yeah. I'd really like to help more people, but I got to raise some money first. But in our view, we're doing this ethically, and we're doing this the way it needs to be done in this time in our world. And that's based on equality.
1: That's awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's very interesting. We We had a podcast where we interviewed a couple who are close friends of ours who had worked for several years to adopt and had run into roadblocks and... Had run into situations where, at the last minute, mothers decided to not give them or give them baby adopt the baby away. It was just heartbreaking, but fortunately for them, money wasn 't necessarily an issue because they did exactly what you said. They tightened the belt. There are plenty of times when our collective group of friends go out and they weren't a part of that group and we knew exactly yeah. why because <laughs> they're yeah. going to save that extra $25 or $50 a week instead of going out with friends. They're going to save that so they can adopt and they finally got their daughter just a couple of weeks ago, which was amazing. It's oh, awesome to see wonderful. those pictures. Yeah. yeah
2: people, too. I mean, you know, we're raised never to talk about money because it's so gauche, right? And mm-hmm. here I'm raising two kids. I have an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old who, when I say, please don't talk about money, they're like, but you do.
3: I'm like, <laughs>
2: oh, God. Well, Good I'm talking them. about it's prove a point, okay? <laughs> I'm not talking about how much your sneakers cost. <laughs> you know, so here I go being gauche. My husband and I, by the time we were 39, had spent a hundred and ninety thousand dollars of after-tax money to build our thing yeah we don't own our home period it will affect us for life i'm not crying poor i don't want you to feel sorry for me i really don't care but there are moments that i wake up and go oh god i don't own my home now could i leave new york city and buy a house yes (laughs) but I choose to live in New York City, so it is a different it is a different real estate market. But I still want people to understand that even people with blessed and charmed lives, this will affect me forever. Those were the years my thirties, but that money is supposed to be invested in something. Right. Now I would argue I invested it in myself and I have children because of that and I am so grateful. However, you know, again, I don't have a home. You know, and I was one of the lucky ones. So I do want people to hear this problem because, you know, I mean, none of my medical stuff was covered by insurance. it spent $82,000 trying to get pregnant. Yeah. And some, again, might criticize me for that choice. It's fine. It's free country. But it was my choice. And I did get pregnant the first time we did IVF, actually out of the five rounds, three out of the five times. And I had miscarriages at 16 weeks, 12 weeks, and 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so the bottom line is, given those results and that testing after the miscarriages, I had no reason to believe that it wasn't going to work. I hate to use this word. I don't think I was stupid in my pursuing IVF mm-hmm. based on what happened. I mean, first time you do IVF, you get pregnant, lose a baby at 16 weeks. There's no reason to think it's not going to work. Yeah. None whatsoever. And so we kept going, but these are all things. And honestly, people ask me all the time, would I have gone back? I didn't try to have a baby. I got married, let's say, at 26, did not try to start having a baby until we were 31 because, you know, I was the oldest of five children. My sister's 20 years younger than me. I know what it's like to have a baby. I wanted to live my life, have my career, travel the world as much as I could, because if I had a child and I had to give it all up, I needed to do it guilt-free. Yeah. And that was my thinking. So whatever anybody else wants to say, that's my reasoning for why we waited five years. I don't think thirty-one's old. <laughs> and now that I know what I know, I had to go through all of that for my timing for Jake. And I believe that. And again, someone's listening to your podcast going, that woman is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and to some, I might seem crazy, but to anybody who's been through it, they're going, yep, she's absolutely right. You know, it's something bigger.
1: And that's exactly what I was just going to say. There's something bigger here because of that, because you spent that $83,000 because you tried to have a family and weren't able to, and you ended up adopting because of that like you said, last year, 38 families were built because of that. So the money spent is paying off in many, many, many more ways than you could have ever have imagined. And I think that if anyone wants to criticize the money spent, they can look at the results of what's happening now because of it.
2: It is funny because my son, who's now 12 and a bit of a smart aleck, just like his mama, he'll say to me, he goes, so how many babies did you have this year? (laughs)
3: That's (laughs) awesome. And I'm like,
2: I had a lot of babies this year. He's like, you look good. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Because I really do. I mean, I am in the trenches. If you guys saw me right now, you'd be like, God, you look tired. Um, I'm really in the trenches with these people. And the people that we can't help, I lose sleep over them. Now, I think they think when they get the no letter from us, probably like, oh, I hate them. They don't care about my story. If they knew the agony that I went through because I personally feel I haven't raised enough money to help enough people, like it is the weight of the world on my shoulders. I was there and I feel their pain. I know what they're going through. I absolutely know what they're going through. And it's just terrible. I mean, during our second adoption, my husband lost his job
3: Mm.
2: because it was in 2008 Mm. and he was unemployed for like six months and it was bad because he's in finance. He worked for the big first company that went down. I remember our social worker sitting in our living room and I was like, she's going to want to pull this adoption. She's going to want to pull this adoption. And she brought it up and I looked at her and I said, Eh, we're not having this discussion today
3: She <laughs> yeah. was like, because
2: well, you know you know we have the money aside you know we have the money aside and she's like but what if i go we're not gonna talk about if. we're no. gonna move forward <laughs> but i know that i was the lucky one i know that there are people in 2008 and even today who are losing their jobs and that's the end of it they don't get to adopt this makes my work every day I'm an army of people who was behind me cheering me on every day you know, this makes it even more important because at the end of the day, if people can't afford to adopt, what happens to these children? Exactly. That's the real question. You know, you might not care if Becky Fawcett ever became a mom. And while I think that is heartless and cruel, that's <laughs> your decision. But what about the children I adopted? What would their stories have looked like? And what about all these international children that are absolutely orphans, and most of them have huge medical problems, I'm not going to lie to you, Mm -hmm. um, that are solvable, but they need to get here. Mm. They need to get here, and they need to get on an insurance plan, and they need a parent. um, Because in an orphanage without enough caregivers, they're going to die. And so that's the flip side of the coin, is why trying to make adoption more affordable for all. It's so important.
1: So you've mentioned that you have done some work or are working with people in the LGBT community. Can you give us some examples of what those kinds of families have looked like? For those of you who are listening, I just kind of want to give you a flavor of the kind of people that Becky is working with, because you may see yourself in some of these individuals.
2: So we give about... 18 to 19 percent of our money away to the LGBT community, which some people say that's a great statistic. I personally wish it was a little higher. But the reason it's not higher is that I'll say this out loud and hopefully everybody will get the hint I don't get enough LGBT applications. I don't know why that is. Enough people know about us. Are people thinking that they can't adopt as an LGBT family? Are they thinking no one's out there to help them? I don't know what the issue is. But just to give you an example, I get roughly 400 applications a cycle. We just closed the cycle and we had our highest number of LGBT applications ever. Do you want to venture a guess as to what I got?
0: <laughs> well, you just said 18 to 20%. <laughs> yeah, 20. Wow. I got,
2: that's very smart. I got 23. 23.
0: Wow.
2: wow. Out of 400. Right. So less and than so 10%. On one hand, I'm over the moon thrilled we got 23. And on the other hand, I'm furious that it's not 50. So when I met you guys and wanted to talk about this, I was thrilled because I'm going to tell you what those families look like. But the best way people listening can help us, post about us. Post about us to your friends. I don't care if you're adopting or not, but someone on your Facebook page knows someone who's adopting and who's LGBT. I mean, this is the greatest way you can help a nonprofit. It costs you no money at all. I'm not asking you for a dime. I'm asking you for the 12 seconds it takes to make a post. (laughs) And you might actually help a family that doesn't think there's anyone out there to help them. And that, to me, is what being in the philanthropy business is all about. So the LGBT families that apply to us, the typical family that we help is roughly in the fifty to eighty thousand dollars household income range. Now that's not to say that we don't skew a little bit higher in a major metropolitan area. So mm-hmm. have we given LGBT grants maybe up to like ninety ish thousand dollars a year? Yes. Yeah. So I just want to be fair that we do take cost of living into consideration when we look at people's application. The couples can look like anything, interreligious, inner transracial, like anything. We do not judge. I mean, other organizations ask for a picture. When people apply, we don't ask for a picture. We ask for your story. We mm-hmm. want to hear your story. We want to hear how you fell in love. We want to hear how... You've dreamed of building this family, and we want to know about you. And we've actually given two grants to couples where one of the members of the couple is a transgendered individual, and those grants have been remarkable. I am so proud of that work. I wish there were more in number, but for now, I'm very grateful for that. One of the families that we helped that had the transgendered individual, they decided down the road not to adopt, which broke my heart, but it's not my choice. The other family who lives out West adopted a little girl in the summer of 2016. Nice. And we gave them a grant to make that possible. You know, these stories are what's changing the world. We're making dreams possible for all types of families. The obvious question, the elephant in the room is why does this straight Upper East Side of New York care so much? And the answer is I just do. So deal with it because I'm here <laughs> and I'm helping, and I really do care if you become a parent. I really do care, and my body doesn't work, so I'm just in the same boat as two men who can't do it. I can't do it either. Mm-hmm. My parts don't work. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what else to say, right? right? And it's not the road I expected to take, but I'm so grateful to be here and now to do such meaningful, groundbreaking work every day of my life. I mean, that's kind of cool. Yes. So that's what we do. And, you know, we joked about when we talked on the phone, it's like, you know, I think I am a strange messenger, but you know what? This is it. So take it or leave it. I hope you take the help. I hope you take the offer Mm -hmm. because we've got a lot of LGBT families that are parents because of us. That's great. And we keep in touch with them. And our donors love them. Nice. I think the reason that we found such early success because let's be real, launched this thing in 2007, the world crumbled in 2008, <laughs> and I'm not sure it's recovered yet. Yeah. So we've had a solid, progressive, positive growth over 10 years. I know it is because of our stance on family equality. I know it is.
3: Nice.
2: I know it is. And I've got like 9,000 active donors across the country who agree with that statement. Now, have I almost been punched in the face by people who don't? Yeah. But I really believe you can't change the world and not piss someone off in the process. And so I'm happy when someone gets mad at me. I'm not thrilled at why, but I just keep going. I keep going. You must be doing something right. I, I know we're doing something right. And I know that if you want to live in fear, then you can't change things. And I refuse to live in fear by what someone's going to say about me or do to me or anything. So here we are.
0: I think it's also important to go back and talking about what these families look like. You also help individuals adopt. So if you're LGBTQ and you're not in a relationship, you can still apply for a grant to adopt a child.
2: Yes. Now, I have a great story to tell you, which is not so great, but it is great. (laughs) Um, I have become friends with one of our grant recipients who is not a single woman. She is a lesbian who's in a long time relationship. She applied to us, though, as a single woman. That was fine. I mean, didn't question it at all, nothing. But over the years of our friendship, she has filled me in on what her family is. And as we got closer, we had a conversation, gosh, probably like a year and a half ago, where she told me, she goes, do you ever wonder why I applied to you as a single woman? And I go, honestly, it's none of my business. But if we're going to go there, yeah, I do. (laughs) I do want to know. And she said that her adoption attorney told her not to tell anybody that she was a lesbian. I mean, that makes me mad. Right. That makes me very, very mad. That is not how this should be. We know better. We know better as a society, and we should know better as adoption professionals. Obviously, our work is for all families, but you know, when I hear stories like this, this is where I really want to get involved. This is where I really want to do advocacy work, because... It needs to be done. I'm still heartbroken that she was told that. Right.
0: So she has to go into the closet so that she can hopefully build the family that she's been longing for. Yeah. You right. just kind of start that yeah. relationship or that experience off on a negative note.
1: Yep, yeah. Exactly. Well, you and know, and then. You're hiding a vital part of who you are in the whole process.
2: Well, and the thing is, you know, if that attorney had really opened, I won't say him or her, their eyes, So predominantly, the LGBT community has to adopt domestically, either foster care or domestic newborn. Recently, I would say in the past year and a half, there are two international programs that have opened up. One's in South Africa, and forgive me, I'm going to blank out on the second one, but I can get you that information. So there are two programs where LGBT families can now adopt legally, internationally, if you want to adopt that way. But it's just, terrible these birth mothers you really have to give them more credit for making the decisions of where they place children because Mm. i know plenty of lgbt families that these birth mothers are like looking for that you know they're just looking for it there's a urban legend old wives tale that birth mothers love gay men (laughs) because they will be the only mother in the picture forever. Uh, That's awesome. So who knows if that's true or not, but it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Sure. And then, you know, what a lot of people have told me, a lot of lesbians have told me that the birth mother who picked them, you know, maybe had a terrible father relationship or maybe was just raised by a single mother and loved two women. You never know. There is someone for everyone. And so I think the one transgendered, family that we gave the grant to, they were waiting for two years to be matched. And I would talk to them on the phone and check in and see how they were doing. And they were convinced that they weren't getting picked because of who they were. And I looked at them and I'm like, you're not going to like what I have to tell you. But my second adoption took two and a half years. And I am like your stereotypical family, right? Like I am. And I said, I had trouble getting matched, but it wasn't my turn yet. And I kept trying to tell them that I don't think your weight has anything to do with who you are. And maybe they had other reasons that went along with deciding not to adopt. It really can be a long wait for people. But I think if you're in that LGBT space, you start to question,
3: Sure. you know,
2: is this because we're not a traditional family? Well, my answer to it is you are a traditional family now. Like now I've been married to my husband for 21 years. He was my college sweetheart. And people are like, you're still married? I mean, people are shocked. (laughs) I think I'm becoming abnormal. And so I just want people to know, too, is that part of the key to this is finding adoption professionals that have worked with families like yours. And whether that means you're African-American, Chinese-American, LGBT, whatever you are, you want to make sure that your professional has worked with other families like you. Right. Like, if you're African-American and you pick a lawyer who has only placed Caucasian infants, that might not be the lawyer for you. That's yeah. just like, But, you know, depending on where that lawyer is, that might be how his business developed over the years. Right. And we don't pay any judgment to that. That just is the way it is. And there are plenty of other African-American newborn programs out there. And we help people find those programs. Just as when an LGBT family calls me, they're like, where do I even start? Right. And so there's a list. There's a list of like LGBT friendly adoption professionals. Google it. Comes up. And if anybody listening to this says like I still need help, email us. We'll help you. We'll help you get started. We'll help put your foot in the right direction.
0: Well, that leads me to a question. How do you get yeah. started with the adoption process and the adoption
1: grant? How would somebody apply?
2: Okay. So the first thing is The grant is the final piece of the puzzle. So the first thing you want to do is you need to find either an adoption agency or an adoption attorney. And then the main piece you need to apply to helpusadopt.org is you need a valid home study. And for those of you listening who say a what, (laughs) so this is what that is. So first you find your lawyer or your agency and you sign on board and you give your money. And then they put you in touch with a home study agency. A home study agency is in your state. It's licensed social workers in your state. And a home study basically is the very detailed, very annoying, complex, but necessary <laughs> document. It proves that Becky and Kit Fawcett are able to take care of a child on a day-to-day basis and provide a safe and loving home what do they look for? They look for, I mean, Kip and I had to get FBI fingerprint clearance. We had to get child abuse clearance nationally. We had to go to the doctor and get physicals and prove that we were in good health. I think you had to give the literally the last five years of tax returns to prove that you were employed. I mean... I'm like, do we even have that documentation? Jeez, saves what is that? Stuff. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Since we had two dogs at the time we were adopting, we had to provide vaccination records for the dogs. Because if we couldn't take care of a dog, how could we take care <laughs> of a child? Right. Um, it is funny and it's not funny because I'm sitting here and I'm like, the hoops I had to jump through to become declared fit, I guess they're challenging. And then you have a social worker come to your house and sort of see where the baby's going to be. Some people panic and think they clean for weeks. I do not clean for weeks. They like bake for this person. I'm like, you do not have to bake for this person. Just (laughs) just offer them a cup of coffee or water. (laughs) They're basically coming there to make sure there's nothing crucially urgent going on in your home that is dangerous. And so it's just the piece of paper you need that's stamped that says, Beck and Kit Fawcett, can afford to provide a day-to-day structure for a child. And so we require that legal document before you can apply to a grant with us. But let me also say this for all your people listening who are going to say, I don't make enough money to do this. I'm never going to pass. I have seen home studies where the family makes $20,000 a year be approved for a $65,000 Chinese adoption. Wow. That adoption, in my financial opinion, is never happening. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how they were approved. I don't know anything more than the numbers don't add up. So I don't want anybody to be listening to you and to say, I can't do this. Because there's always a way. And the other way is this. Is foster care adoption in your state and depending on where you live it is easier said than done like new york is not easy other states seem relatively easier from what i understand and the smartest thing that the united states foster care system did about i'm probably wrong on this i'm going to say five to seven years ago they did a huge advertising campaign to the LGBT community and said, you want to be a parent, we want to help you get there. Wow. So the foster care system is very LGBT friendly, which a lot of people, I, I don't think know that. know that. No. And it's free, it's free, it's free. Depending on the child you adopt, you then get a monthly stipend from the government until that child is 18 or 21. The 18 or 21 depends on what state you live in. I'm not an expert on those laws, but every state has social services department. And again, if you go on some of these Facebook groups for adopting, you know, you'll find it. And again, if you can't, send an email to help us adopt that Like, yes, we give grants, but we also really want people, I don't want you to be stuck and think you can't do this. So if we can introduce you to someone, we're happy to do that. So then what you do is you apply to us. Even if you're just wondering what helpusadopt.org is, you can go on our website, you can read some of our testimonials, and I know there's LGBT families posted there. You can look at our pictures, you can look at these kids that come home, you can take a look at our application, which is posted on our website free of charge. You can download that and take a look at what kind of questions we ask. Now, if you're familiar with adoption, our application is no different than anything you've already been asked in the home study process and with your adoption professional. If you're new to adoption, you might go, God, they're pokey. They're (laughs) asking all these questions about (laughs) We have to. We're giving money away. So we have to ask these financial questions. And if you've been down the home study road, you will understand that we're not asking anything that someone else hasn't asked you. The most important piece in our application, really, is the personal statement. Now, I have been on panels with other grant organizations who are not LGBT friendly, but who have also said that they don't care about the story of the adoptive parents. They only care about the child. I have to say we're different. We really care about your story. This is about you building your family. Of course, we care about the child you're going to adopt. Of course, we do. But we really also care about you as human beings. So pour it out tell us why you're here. Don't be bashful to ask for help, but be honest about why you're asking for help. We're not looking to embarrass anybody at all. That is never our mission. But we need you to get personal with us. We need to hear about it because we're all on your page. We're waiting to hear the stories to show us what you're doing.
0: If you're fortunate enough to earn the adoption grant, is that taxable or is that not taxable?
2: God, isn't it great? It's not because in most cases, even if we were to give it to you, it could be a gift. But it's not because we are paying your invoice to your adoption professional. We don't give you the money.
3: Uh so that's interesting.
2: When you get the grant, we have a legal agreement that we send to you and say that you have been awarded a $8,000 grant from HelpUsAdopt.org to complete your domestic adoption with ABC Lawyer. And we make you go through and again, state that everything you've told us is true and it better be. Uh, (laughs) Although I have unfortunately had two cases in my 10 years where it was not. And that was very awful and disappointing. But for the most part, all you're doing is you're reiterating that everything you've told us in your application is true and that you then give us power to speak to your adoption professional on your behalf. So if you've gotten an $8,000 grant, we keep in touch with you when that last $8,000 is due, we take over. Gotcha. We start writing the checks. You know, and we also, the most important thing to know about us is this is not a loan. This is a gift. There are no strings attached. If you want to take the money and never speak to us again, you are entitled to do so. We. But will be better destroyed. not. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing is, is the only string we have, and of course we can't enforce it, I want baby pictures. Like, right. <laughs> we work. If you guys knew how hard I work to raise this money to help these people become parents, I live for these baby pictures. I live for this and older children. If you're adopting older children, like I can't wait to see Halloween pictures. This is the reason I get out of bed and I keep going because it's working. I love it. I am a lunatic during the week. I get up at six every day. I get myself ready. I get two children who I'm so grateful to have ready every day. We go to school. I'm at my desk by about 8.30 in the morning. I usually leave fluctuates on the day. I usually leave around three, leave the office, come home and dive into seventh grade homework, which is wretched. (laughs) It was wretched in 1982 and it's wretched now. Um, and while I'm doing homework, I'm juggling emails. And I am cooking dinner and I do have babysitting help who helps me with my eight-year-old because I can't do this alone. And then once we go through all the showering and the homework and the bedtime stories, I'm still on email. I have to make up my gap in the afternoon for being with my kids. And I'm so lucky to have a job that I can do that. But like... People are like, oh, it must be nice to work part-time. I'm like, (laughs) part-time?
0: Let's correct that.
2: (laughs) And it really is. Like, I do things on the weekend. I'm doing this at night with you. This is it. And I just hope that someone's listening who either says, oh, my God, I need your help. Or someone is listening who says, I'm going to write you a big check. to help And that's really it. I can't do this without raising money. But at the end of the day, if it's only someone who's listening, one person who never thought this was possible, now you know there's someone out here who will help you.
0: Absolutely. That's great.
1: John told me that you offer something a little unique here called peer-to-peer fundraising. There's a very large portion of our community, the LGBT community, roughly. I think it's right now around somewhere between 70 and 80% of us decide not to have children. But we also love seeing our brothers and sisters who are adopting, who are creating these families. So explain this to us. What is this peer-to-peer lending?
2: Yeah. And let's talk about that. Before we get to -to peer-to-peer, let's talk about people who consciously choose not to have children. I respect that decision a lot. And it takes a very bold person, in my opinion, to make that decision because our society really tells you you have to have kids. And it's not for everybody, whether you're heterosexual or or LGBT, like it's not for everybody. And we have a very large group of people who do not have children. A friend of mine who has said he's not having a children. I just saw that he made a thousand dollar end of year gift to us today because he knows my kids and he watched me struggle. I knew him through a work relationship and I remember one day, I just couldn't take it anymore. It was during Brooks adoption, which was the two-and-a-half-year one, and I walked into a meeting with this guy, and he took one look at me, and I burst into tears. I mean, the poor man was probably like, <laughs> uh, this is not how I thought I was spending my day. And there's this blonde in my office crying hysterically, and he saw what it did to me. And he's one of our great supporters. And it's really important to help people because I bet the people you're talking about are still aunts and uncles. They're still brothers and sisters. They were sons and daughters, obviously, to begin with. Like, they understand what having a family is about. So I do think that's very important. And we started this peer-to-peer campaign, and it's been amazing. Because, again, the tricky thing is you don't necessarily have to give us any money when you do a peer-to-peer page. You're raising it from other people. So it's a way for people who are like, you know what, I want to give back to you, but I can't write you a check. You can just do a peer-to-peer page for those people who are going to say, what is she talking about? Mm. Everybody knows what a peer-to-peer page is when we talk about like the New York City Marathon. Okay. You've gotten the solicitation, someone's doing the New York City Marathon and they want you to sponsor them, their page, whether it's $10 or $100 and that's it. Well, we do peer-to-peer pages, but you never have to leave your couch. There's no marathon. (laughs) There's no running. There's no walking. That's after the kid is around. (laughs) Yeah. So we do do some clustered ones around, like we do a Mother's Day campaign. And if we had more men involved, we could do a Father's Day campaign. But we've actually had a guy who did the Mother's Day campaign, and he wrote his page in honor of his mom which I thought was a beautiful, beautiful way to raise money. I'm never looking to leave the men out ever. It's just I usually have more women who want to raise money than men. So Mm -hmm. forgive me for that. But I'd be thrilled to have a Father's Day campaign. And we do one in November for National Adoption Month, which is like a team effort. But we've also had people build their own pages for like their birthday. Instead of giving me a present, donate $25 to helpusadopt.org. It's a great way for people to give small donations, anywhere from $10 to $50. And then you'll always have a couple people that will surprise you and give like 250 or 500 or sometimes even a thousand. But it's a great way again to put this page on social media to tell your story to the world of Did you know about this organization, which most people don't because we're only 10 years old and we don't have a marketing budget. Did you know about them? This is what they do. They're helping the LGBT community. This is why I care. And you put your picture in the page and you get to write a little synopsis of why you're doing this. And you can set your goal for even $250. And that's like raising $25 from 10 people. Did Mm -hmm. I do the math right there? I'm not a math whiz, so (laughs) forgive me. You (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, when you think about it, come on. Anybody can raise $25 from 10 people. And if we get enough people raising $250, then if we get 10 people, then I've got a grant because we have given grants as little as $2,500. You know, so it's a building block how I raise money. And everybody can play a very significant role in it. And I want people to know that, that every dollar counts with us.
0: Absolutely. So if you're hearing this, feel free to go to helpusadopt.org and research their peer-to-peer lending options. But then yeah, also, and you, go ahead. yeah,
2: and you can always send an email to us if we're, I'm not in front of the website right now, but if for some reason you want to hear more about this, you can do that. The other thing that we just launched in the fall of this year that is really cool that's on our website, it's actually, I know this for a fact, it's on the top bar of selections, is a social project, a community project called Faces of Adoption. We decided to launch this because I'm a face of adoption. And when people hear that and people meet me, they're like, really? You don't really look like a face of adoption. I'm like, well, what's that supposed to mean? So we decided that we would start telling people's adoption stories. And so if you're listening and if you have an adoption story in any sense of the word, it could even be that your best friend's adopted. Because let me tell you, if adoption didn't exist, you wouldn't have a best friend. That's simple. You can apply and tell us your story. And we will run it and post it. Every Friday, we post one of our faces of adoption. We just had Scott Hamilton, the Olympic ice skater, did one. He's an adoptee. Yeah. And it's really cool. And it's gaining some traction. And it's just to really give this community a stronger, more positive voice out there. Because it's really important as people start going into uncomfortable zones. And believe me, I've been there you need to know that there's a lot of people who are willing to make it comfortable for you.
0: That's awesome. Other than going to helpusadopt.org, where else can our community find you on social media or elsewhere?
2: Okay, so we have helpusadopt.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we also have me, Becky Snyder Fawcett, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I think on Instagram, I'm just... Isn't this terrible? You'd think I'd know this. It's my (laughs) own name. I think I'm Becky S's and Sam Fawcett on Instagram, but I pop right up. Both platforms, both my personal and the Help Us Adopt One run different things. If you don't want to see pictures of my kids who I refer to as hashtag the boy and hashtag the girl, my love, my life, then do not friend me and do not follow me on Instagram because you will be tortured with stories about that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and if you want to have a discussion with me on Twitter that's friendly, I'd love to do that, but I really don't like the nastiness on Twitter, so I'm not on there as much as I probably should be. But we have a great Facebook page. We love to answer questions. You can message me. I mean, I'm there. I know it sounds trite. I really know it sounds trite. But I'm really here to help you become a parent or help someone you love become a parent.
1: Well, Becky, you're the <laughs> you're the second sis white Female that we've interviewed in the last month that is doing something instrumental to help the LGBT community. The other podcast is about the state of Ohio and a woman who's doing so much there to help our community get rights that we don't still don't have in that state. But I can't thank you enough on behalf of our community, on behalf of all those LGBT individuals out there who want to adopt, who are trying to adopt who know what you're going through and what you're doing, I, I just have to say thank you. John and I chose a long time ago <laughs> to not to have children. And it still brings a tear to my eye to see the stories of these children who need to and want to be adopted, who need parents. And thank you for helping them especially.
2: Honestly, it is my honor. When you said earlier in this conversation, like you didn't use the term everything happens for a reason. You said something about All the money I had spent led me here or something like that. And that's really it. I mean, I started helpusadopt.org when I was 37 years old. It's been 10 years. And honestly, the day we opened that bank account and the day we launched, I looked at my husband. I go, I know why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And I don't think a lot of people get to know that in their lifetime. It's why my journey happened. It's why my children were sent to me and it gave me this purpose, a cool, cool purpose to have, to be able to help people bring their kids home and watch these kids grow up. So I feel very fortunate. Some days are easier than others. It is not an easy journey, but it is such a worthwhile journey. It's just remarkable. And then I get to meet people like you and find out (laughs) about the things you're doing. I mean, I have met the most interesting group of people in the last 10 years that I never would have crossed paths with. Ever.
3: Right. right. Um,
2: so I look at my like Rolodex and my Facebook collection and all these things, and I'm like, God, this is cool. <laughs> look
0: at all this. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> look at all these people doing these great things. And yeah, it really has been, I'm very lucky.
0: Very well, lucky. What you just said there reminded me of a Mark Twain quote that when he said, the two best days in your life are the days you're born, the day you're born, and the day you find out why. And obviously, those yeah. two happen to you.
2: Yeah, and it is funny because my daughter will say, you don't really love me. I'm like, okay, you're going to have to pick a different argument because let me tell you what I went through to put you home. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you're you- going
2: to have to pick something else. <laughs> well,
0: thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. And we can't wait to get your message out to more people through our tiny little platform.
2: No, it's wonderful. Thank you for what you're doing for the community, and I can't wait to do more great things together.
0: Well, thank you, Becky, for all that you're doing for the LGBT community and all the other marginalized or different families out there who are looking to open their homes to children. These children need loving parents, loving homes, and we don't necessarily need to meet or fit a particular stereotype to provide that kind of environment. So, thank you for recognizing that. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Queer Money. If you'd like this or any other episode of Queer Money, please like, comment, subscribe to our show on iTunes so that we can reach more LGBT people and help more LGBT people live fabulously, not fabulously broke. Until next week, take care. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money.
3: Well,
1: I'm
0: not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all my, all my meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a
1: Snickers tonight. For dinner.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh.